Are you afraid of anything? Anyone got any fears of anything they'd like to admit or that they would admit in church this morning? Anyone want to shout something out? What? Spiders? Rats? (laughs) Anyone else? Heights? We had snakes at the nine o'clock service. Someone said long sermons. And if that's your fear, I can help you with it this morning. Because the way to conquer your fear is to walk straight towards it. So if you want to set your clocks for about three o'clock, if that's your fear, we can cure that from you. Um, I want to admit something this morning. Some of you will know this anyway. I don't like heights at all. I never have done since I was a kid. And I know that like as I've been as a man, you don't like to admit that you're frightened of things like that. But I really get freaked out with heights. In fact, I remember when me and Alison were first going out about... 300 years ago, whatever it was, it was a long time ago, and we went to a theme park, and I kept saying to her, I was only like 16, I kept saying, look, I don't like heights, I don't like heights, I don't like heights, I couldn't say it any other way, she said, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, so she took me up one of these really like big things where they, it just drops right down, she looked at me at the top, she says, you really don't like heights, do you? I literally was frozen to the top, and I, and I don't like heights, but... But, and I don't like flying neither, because that's quite high as well, isn't it, if you hadn't realised that, but I love travelling, and I love going where I sense God wants me to go, so I get on a plane, and so I do that because I want to do it. And it's kind of like you could say, well, if you're frightened of it and you do it, that's kind of brave. And then I remember a few years ago, um, I don't think I've told this story here, well, I've told it at the nine o'clock, but not before, but I was, um, I was speaking at a Christian skiing holiday, because it's a hard life, and um, suffering for Jesus in the Alps, as you do. And I was there with a, a friend of mine who's a worship leader. And so we were leading the, the team together. And, and we were on this um, uh, ski lift. And there was a chair thing. There was four spaces. And there was only me and him on it. And uh, we were going up this really, really big mountain in the Alps. And it was really high. And as it approached and came down uh, over the top and started to come down, it stopped where it shouldn't stop. And it was really high, and I was starting to think, oh, this really is high. And the only thing across us was like a bar, and so there was no cage or anything, and your legs are dangling with the skis on the bottom like that. And there was another one coming up with four young women on the thing. So, of course, there's just two blokes. This was a long time ago. Uh, so we were like, we want to be cool. We want to be cool. He was cool, my friend, because he loves heights. I wasn't so cool, but I was trying to act cool and brave. And then he decided, he thought, he's such a, like, he loves all this stuff. So he thought, this is great. It moves, look. And he started like leaning over the side and bouncing the chair. And I'm like, John, you need to stop that or I'm going to kill you. Okay. I'm trying to be cool. Okay. Because there's four young ladies there and I want to be cool. But will you stop that? And then eventually he just kept doing it. He kept doing it. The girls were fine. And I thought any minute now, this is going to start again and it'll all be fine. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I'm starting to get worried now. The girls are starting to get worried. My friend is still saying, it bounces, it bounces. And I'm like, and then I'm not, and this is not an exaggeration. It's not like a preacher's story. The wind started to pick up and it started to blow the chair from side to side and then up and down like that. And I ain't kidding you. It went up and down 20 feet or so. And my friend's loving it. The girls are screaming and calling for their mother. I wanted to scream and call for my mother. But I said, speak to your face and try and be brave. And then eventually, it started to creak its way down to the bottom of the mountain. And at the bottom, I'm not kidding you, is a French guy literally going like that on a manual thing. Turn it down because it had broken and he was bringing it back in. And so I got off and said, it's fine, not a problem. But inside, there's all this stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm trying to be brave on the outside. But on the inside, it's not how I'm feeling. Anyone understand what I'm talking about? Now, here's the thing. That actually didn't take any bravery at all because I couldn't do anything. 
I was completely stranded. I might say I look brave, but it didn't matter whether I was brave or not. There was nothing I could do. But in other aspects of life, bravery is massively important. And I can think in my life about some of the things that I've done, um, in, if you like, in my job and my calling here, where I've walked towards situations which have taken bravery, confronted people I didn't want to confront, said things I didn't want to say but felt I had to say. And I can think in my private life as well that there have been times when I've needed to be brave. And it's not easy to be brave. And here is the question that I want us to ponder this morning for the next two hours or so, for those of you that are frightened of long sermons. Here's the question on the screen. How can we live the braver life when so much inside and around us tells us we can't? How can we live the braver life when so much inside of us and around us tells us we can't? So what is bravery? A writer called Erwin, in fact, here's a couple of pictures first of bravery. I love this one, this little boy facing the big sumo. And uh, and then there's another one which you've seen many times before, I think recently, the cat. In front, and that's like an act of bravery, which is, which is great. But what really is bravery? A writer called Ermin McManus says this, The history of God's people is not a record of God searching for courageous men and women who could handle the task, but God transforming the hearts of cowards. And I think we miss that, guys. When we read the Bible, what we look is we look at the people in the Bible and we say we'll never be like them because they were so amazing. But what we fail to understand is that nearly all of them were cowards. But God got a hold of them and not only their abilities but their availabilities and God called them into a braver life. And by choice, some of them reluctantly, but by choice they decided to go the braver life. And here's another quote that I really want you to think about um, this week and talk about it in life group or whatever. Courage is not the absence of fear but the judgment that something else is more important than fear. Somebody came to me after the night and said, oh, you know, I, I'm a frightened of heights and I don't like flying as well, but I, I go a lot. And I, I don't want anyone to know that I'm frightened of flying because I travel a lot. And I said, why do you travel? Because I want to go to the place. I said, so you've decided that that's more important than your fear. And I don't think, if you think bravery is about not being fearful, then you're mistaken. Bravery is when we decide that something else is more valuable and more important than our fear. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at our case study. We're going to look at our character of Moses. And he's called at the burning bush in Exodus 3 and chapter 4, not only to a bigger life, but to a braver life. And in fact, you'll never go down the path of a bigger life unless you're prepared to go down the path of a braver life because it takes bravery to live a bigger life. And so if you weren't here last week, here's a very, very quick recap. Moses, the hero, um, brought up in the, the Egyptian palace for 40 years. He was a Hebrew, he was a Jew, but he was brought up as an Egyptian. Had a bit of an identity crisis, wasn't quite sure who he was. At the age of 40, he did, uh, he did something strange, which men do at the age of around about 40. And he went out and he killed someone. And then he confronted some Hebrews and he was rejected by them. So he regretted what he'd done. He regretted what he said. He headed off into the desert for another 40 years where he lived a goldfish kind of life, a small life, just him, his family, the sheep and the sand. And then at the age of 80, on an ordinary day, he, he's walking, he walks past an ordinary bush which bursts into flames, which would have been an everyday occurrence, but the bush kept burning. And out of the bush, God spoke to him and called him to a bigger life. That's what we looked at last week. And he called him to a bigger life to have a bigger sense of perspective of who God is, to have a bigger realization of his own purpose and to have a bigger heart for people. 
Because God wants him to lead two million people out of slavery into the promised land. And you have to have a big heart to lead people out of slavery into the promised land. And then at that point, so if you imagine this to be the burning bush, and here's the choice. Moses can go back to his goldfish bowl life, or he can go the bigger life. There's bravery required to go that way. And if you know the story, you'll know that Moses' first response when God calls him to go and face Pharaoh is, of course I'll do it, God. Sign me up. Bring it on. Not. His first response is a whole load of excuses. And if you've got your Bible, we're going to have a little look at these together in Exodus chapter 3. I know some of you will be familiar with this story. You'll be familiar with it. And the familiarity will cause you to not listen and to switch off. Please don't do that. Because I'm realizing as I'm looking at this again, that there is so much in this that's reflected in my own life. That I don't want to be there. And by God's help, you know, I want to see that transformed. And so there's a whole load of excuses here. And I'm going to kind of put this picture up of the um, uh, burning bush, uh, if you can, Chris, please. Um, and just think about the first one of being around identity. Because in Exodus 3 verse 11, he says, but Moses said, who am I? His excuse is centered around identity. He's not sure who he is. And God's response in verse 12 is, well, I'm going to go with you. Your identity is rooted in your relationship with me. You know, that's who you are in me. It's, the issue isn't, are you Egyptian or are you Jewish? The issue is our relationship. The issue, that's the identity excuse. And then he says, well, okay, then who are you? So th- there's a question here around intimacy. He doesn't really know who this God is in that sense. And you know it's possible to know about God and not to know God. You know that, don't you? And you can tell whether you really know God often at moments when bravery is being called out of you. It's all right to know about God when you don't actually have to do anything. But when you actually have to do something that's brave, that's a test often of whether you really know God. And God's response is, I am who I am. This is who I am. We looked at that last week. And then in Exodus 4, there's another excuse around the whole area of intimidation. Exodus 4 verse 1, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And God's response there is in verse 2 to verse 9 is basically, listen Moses, when I'm finished with them, they really will listen to you. So don't need, you don't feel intimidated because you're going with an amazing God. And when I finish with them, they will listen to you. And then there's this in verse 10, very interesting verse. We'll look at this in a little more detail. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in, in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. This is around inadequacy. He's basically, he says, look, I just can't speak clearly enough. I can't communicate. And God's response to him was, who made your mouth, Moses. Who made your mouth and who can fill your mouth? And don't let that response of inadequacy stop you. And then it's like he's running out of options. <laughs> and then in verse 13, he basically says, But Moses said, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. And, and, and here we get into the real thing, aren't we? You know, you come up with all these other things. But at the end of the day, I want to suggest that actually Moses is struggling because he do not want to do it. How many of you know what that feels like? God says something to you and you come with all kinds of excuses, but at the bottom, the kind of, you know, where rubber hits the road really is that you just don't want to do it. And here's the whole thing about inferiority. Get someone else to do it. And uh, Moses says, well, okay, I will. And he calls Aaron, but he says, I'm still not finished with you. You know, you're coming too and we're going to work on this whole issue. So there's a whole load of excuses there. And we often put up excuses to God. But here's my question for you to think about. Were Moses' excuses valid or not? In other words, were they an accurate assessment of who he really was? 
You see, because we have to think about this, because if we put, if God speaks to us, and I'm aware that not all of you might say that you're a Christian, and so you're just exploring this whole God thing, but can I say that when you do give your life to Christ, the understanding there is that you're not just grateful for what he's done, but you want to do whatever he says for you to do. So if God speaks to you, and you are a follower of Christ, and you put up an excuse, the question you need to think about is, is that excuse valid or not? You see, we often say, oh God, yeah, I understand, yeah, you're you're pulling me to that, but I haven't got the time. Or I haven't got the money, or I'm far too busy, or that's not my gifting, or that's not my personality, or I don't think. Is that excuse true or not? Is it valid? And the reason I want to ask you that is that I'm perplexed by this verse in verse 10 of Exodus 4, um, where where Moses said, I'm slow of speech and, and I'm not eloquent. Because in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, when Stephen, that uh, early church martyr and uh, hero really, he gives this amazing speech where he tells the story of Moses. And he talks about him in the Egyptian palace. And before this incident, and he says this in, in Acts 7, verse 22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Now that's before this incident that we're looking at. So Stephen says Moses was powerful in speech and action. And he was brought up as an Egyptian prince, so he was educated. And as we said last week, I think he had all the abilities of leadership. And God wanted not just his availability, but he wanted his abilities. He needed a leader to lead his people. And Moses was the man. You see, what's happened in 40 years, I want to suggest, is that, now, is this true? You know, which, which of these is true, or is the Bible contradictory? Because it seems to be saying two things. Moses says, I can't speak. Stephen says, Moses was great at speaking. Which is true? Or is the Bible contradictory? Or could it be, and I want to suggest to you, I can't prove this, I want to suggest to you that what I think is happening is that Moses' perception of who he really is, is false. At this moment in time, Moses doesn't see himself as he really is, but God does. And this is really interesting to me, because I wonder whether so many of us, and God calls us to be brave, Causes us something, and our perception of who we are is not the same as God's perception. Now, there's a really interesting verse in the book of Romans, chapter 12, where Paul says, verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, Think of yourself with sober judgment. And what that really means is it means think of yourself as God sees you. That's reality. Now, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought also must translate, don't think of yourself more lower than you ought. Okay? And here's the problem, you see. For Moses, I think at this point, something of what's going on is that Moses thinks of himself lower than he ought to. It's not sober judgment. He was clearly skilled, clearly gifted, clearly able, and yet he's got this perception of himself lower than he ought. And many of us are like that. Would you agree? Many people, actually, and certainly Christians as well, we look in the mirror and we say, God, you say I'm this, but actually I think I'm that. And we think of ourselves lower than we ought to. But before we go into that, I want to just pause it for a bit and just throw a little bit for you to think about. I've been reading some research recently. That's always a dangerous thing to say because you know that that can change in 20 minutes. But the research I've been reading at the moment is fascinating to me about the growth in the self-esteem movement over the last 20 or 30 years. And the research that they've, uh, that they've undertaken in extensive studies in the Western world 
is showing that there's a real trend in our culture, especially in our youth and young adult and business culture, towards a belief that if you've got a really high self-esteem, that that is going to be the foundation for your success in your life. And what the research suggests is that there's a very dangerous thing that's coming through that whole movement, and that's the thing called narcissism. Now, if you know what narcissism is, it's based on the Greek mythological character who fell in love with himself with his reflection in the mirror. And narcissism basically means excessive self-love or vanity, self-admiration, self-centeredness. The Bible says, thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And there's like, over the last 20 or 30 years, there's like a whole growth in this. So they did some studies on some people and they took like 100 young people and they asked them to rate themselves in terms of their ability. And nearly all of them said they were way above average. Which actually, if you think about it, is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Because you can't have 100 people who are all above average just by the law of averages. But it's almost like there's this like deep inbuilt thing now that nobody can be average. It's like a crime to be average. It's like a sin to be average. And what's happened is that people, not all people, but lots of people are rising up with this view that they are so wonderful and so fantastic. And they're actually thinking of themselves more highly than they ought. And what the research goes on to say is really interesting. She says, our culture believes that if you're um, extrovert, confident, and you love yourself, those are the three keys to success. Actually, the research suggests that that is not exactly true. You see, what it suggests is that self-control is a much more powerful indicator of personal success than loving yourself. You see, people who are very narcissistic, who love themselves, who think they're the best things in sliced bread, they're great at job interviews and they're great at starting relationships, but they're terrible at maintaining relationships often. And actually in work, they're not always necessarily that successful because they have a view that why should they work for it? They're so brilliant. And this is something that's pervading our youth culture and is very prevalent, I think, in the last 10 or 20 years. We become increasingly ambitious, but increasingly unrealistic in our expectations. And as this trend, this is the interesting thing, as this trend has started to grow, so also as the level of anxiety and depression also started to grow. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like what we've done is there's a whole swathe of people who think I can have everything and I can have more because I'm so fantastic and they don't get more and they get depressed. And the Bible says, you know what? That's equally as bad as thinking of yourself too lower than you ought. What we need, isn't it? What we need is a generation of people who see themselves as God sees them. Amen. Not that we think we're so fantastic because we are. And not we think we're so rubbish because we're not. But we are who God says we are. Sober judgment. So just to think about that, uh, if you want. But see, for Moses, going back to Moses, I'm not sure the issue is just his lack of self-esteem. And I believe that self-esteem is really important, so don't let, get, get, quote me wrong on that. I don't think the issue is just that Moses sees himself lower than, than he should. I don't think it's just that he's lost sight of this big God who can do amazing things. Do you know what I think is at the baseline of Moses' excuses? He don't want to do it. <laughs> and I think actually, when push comes to shove, in my life, when there's been things that God's called me to do things, and I've come up with the excuses, and I've come up with all that, bottom line is I just don't want to do it. So God says, walk towards this person. D- deal with this conflict. Give, you know, when you're, when you're financially pushed. God says all this, and I, you can come up with all the excuses. The bottom line is, I don't want to do it. Anyone uh, admit with the, me? And that's what's happening, I think, with Moses. So the question is, Moses, how can you live a braver life when so much inside of you and around you tells you you can't? So how do we live a braver life? Anyone want to live a braver life? 
You know, I, I think we all do, actually. I think that's why we get inspired when we see movies and books and songs and we look at bravery and we think, Braveheart, and we want to be like that. How can we actually do it? Let me give you three things. Firstly, the braver life, not just an act of bravery, because that's one thing. Jumping out of a plane, that's great. My wife's done it. I'd never do it, okay? That's way too big for me. That's great. That's an act of bravery. But living a braver life is different from an act of bravery. How do we live the braver life? Firstly, we have to be willing to face what's in us. You see, the biggest battles that you and I will ever face, what needs the most bravery is the stuff that goes on on the inside. That's why when, when David killed the giant Goliath, that was the public act of bravery. What people miss is that before that, in the fields, when no one was watching but God, he killed a lion and he killed a bear. Because the biggest battles you and I will ever face are the private ones. And so for Moses at the burning bush, God is saying, come on, you've got to face what's in you. The fear, the failure, the wrong perception of yourself, the disappointment, the rejection, even the comfortable life that you've built for yourself. The safety of your goldfish bowl. That's what's inside of you. You have to face that. And here's a question then. So this year, what does God want you to face inside of you? Because if you want to live a braver life, it can only come when we face up to what's inside of us. The back end of last year, I realized in my life that I'd had something. I'd got something in my life which I didn't realize was there and I didn't want it to be there. I realized that there was something in my life that was there because of fear of what would happen if, if it wasn't there. And I can't tell you, because I won't go into all the details, it's personal and private in that sense, but it, it, it's actually quite a long story. But it culminated in a moment, the back end of last year, when I realized that what was motivating me was fear of what might happen. And it was like God said to me, you have to let that go. You have to deal with that fear. And it was painful to do that. But I felt such a release, because I, I didn't realize it was there. But when I realized it was there and I realized what it was, and I said, God, give me the bravery to do that. Even no matter what happens, I want to trust you in this. The release in that, I can't tell you, was absolutely liberating. And you see, when you've got, if you've got that kind of fear or you've got sin or there's attitudes or there's temptations or there's whatever inside of you, it will take bravery to face it, won't it? But not just an act of bravery, but a life of bravery is being open to face whatever is inside of you. And you know, I know some people, Christians, and they're externally rock hard, like Sylvester Stallone type hard, not old and past it, but really hard, you know. But actually, they're so hard on the outside, but on the inside, they are frightened to death of facing anything. So you said, look, you know, what's causing it? Yeah, it's an inside thing, isn't it? And actually, people say, well, you know, I'll jump off a mountain and I'll jump out a plane and I'll do this and do that. But would you look at that pride? Would you look at that fear? Would you look at that rejection? Whoa, no way. It takes more bravery to look at the inside than it does the outside. You know that? The braver life God's calling us to is an interior journey, not an exterior one. It comes from the inside out, where we're willing to look at those issues in our life. So what is it in your life that God might want to call you to look at this year, to face the thing that's inside of you? Secondly, face what's coming at you. Moses is about to go back to uh, Egypt and he's going to then begin and pick up this whole bigger life and he's going to have loads of stuff thrown at him. And can I tell you, and this is often one of the reasons why people don't choose the bigger life because that way there'll be less stuff thrown at you than that way. You understand? Now life will throw stuff at you whichever way you go. But when you go that way, there'll be less to throw than that way. So right now, the choice is, for some of us, you want an easy, comfortable life, you'll have some challenges. You want to have a big life that God calls you to do, you'll have a lot more challenges. 
Jesus said it clearly. You want to follow me? Then you've got to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. You're going to get in trouble, basically. That's what he promised. In this world, you'll have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. And so what happens is that we've got to have that. If we want to have bravery to live the bigger life, we've got to face what's coming at us. It takes bravery to keep going. It takes bravery to keep loving, to keep giving, to keep believing, to keep hoping and expecting and reaching. I think it takes bravery, don't you, just to, just to kind of keep pressing through with God when life throws some stuff at you. I wonder if you could just think for a moment. Think of a resilient person that you know. Somebody that you think, you know, life has thrown so much stuff at them and yet their spirit is sweet, their bravery is there, their attitude is youthful, they're still following God. And as I thought about this and I was chatting about it with Alison last night and we kind of thought about some of the people in this church and don't want to kind of name too many people, but there were loads of people that came into our conversation that we thought about last night. Really resilient people. I thought to someone, I will name one because she's in heaven now. And I thought about Irene Curtis. Some of you will not know Irene, but Irene was a founder member of this church who along with, with 12 other people met in a house, in a, house in, in, in a house group to start this church in 1979. And in Irene's early 40s, her husband died and she had six daughters that she raised on her own all the way through her life. And uh, she didn't drive and she lived just towards Smethwick and so she'd come to this church all the time on the bus and and stuff. And I just remember, you know, just last night thinking about Irene and thinking, you know what, she saw every leader come and go here. She saw lots of change. She saw lots of different buildings, music changed, vision, strategy, everything. And yet she was always so faithful and she never moaned about anything and she always wanted to serve. And I thought that's a resilient woman, isn't it? Life's thrown so much out of you. That was a resilient woman. And perhaps you can think of some people. We were thinking of some people, and I was thinking of some people in this church whose partners, whose husbands and wives had left them and left them cruelly. And yet they didn't allow themselves to get bitter and twisted. But they said, I'm still going to serve God, even though I've been abandoned. Others who've had incredibly harrowing personal circumstances, which, which knocked them down for a long time, but actually... They were able to come back up and say, I don't understand it, I don't want it, but you know what, I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it to help others who are also getting knocked down in these kind of circumstances. And I look at that and I think, that's bravery, isn't it? To face what's coming at you and to keep going, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. And when you look at people like that, you've got to say, what is it that makes them resilient? And you know, research again suggests that what often makes people resilient is that when life knocks them down, one of the things that happens is they often allow other people to come into their life to support them. See, we we tend to think that bravery is, I did it on my own and I did it my way. Actually, that's not true. Often the most resilient people are those who've allowed others into their life to support them. So if you're having a tough time right now, the question is, who are you allowing in to support you? Because if you allow the right people in to support you, it will build your resilience and it takes bravery to face what's coming at you. Third thing is to face what's standing against or between you. This is a different level now. This is not just life. This is those things or people who are actually coming against you or are standing in between you and what God has for you. And so for Moses, initially it's Pharaoh. Okay? He's standing between him and what God has for him and the people. And he's coming against him. But even when Pharaoh's gone, there's the Red Sea and there's the wilderness and there's, you know, there's these own people and there's challenge after challenge. There's these things that stand against or between you. And we've got to face them. And we've got to have the bravery to say, do you know what? Something is more important than fear. C- can we say that together, okay? Just because I feel you're drifting. Something is more important than fear. 
And by your laughter, I was right. <laughs> so, so that thing about saying, actually, this is more important than fear. So whatever it is that's standing against us or between us, we want to have the bravery to go towards it, yes? Because something is more important than fear. And I want to just briefly just pause and just say, what are the challenges for us as a church this year? There are two things that I think we really need bravery about. Now, they're the two things this week. Next week, there might be another few. But at the moment, these are the two things. Firstly, we need bravery to look seriously at the question I raised last week. If you were here, you'll remember it right at the end of the 11 o'clock, more so than the 9, actually. The question I, I raised was this. This is the question that's exercising my thinking and my prayer life at the moment. How can we build a church that unchurched people want to be a part of? It's easy to build a church that Christians want to be a part of. Just do more worship. Just sing a lot and do words and spirit and all that, gifts of the spirit and all of that's great. And I love all that. But to build a church that unchurched people really want to connect to, what's that going to look like? That's going to take bravery for us to answer that question. Because it's going to threaten many of us. It's going to challenge us. It's going to mess with our heads. But can I tell you, we are not going to look at this question uh, recklessly or quickly. We're going to take time. It's going to be measured. We're not going to change everything overnight. But we're willing to change anything if it's what God wants. So we're not going to do it overnight recklessly. But we're willing to do anything if it's what we sense God wants. That's going to take bravery. But the second thing that's going to take bravery is for us to keep giving into what God, we sense God is calling us into. And I want to talk to you about the third place for a moment. Some of you will know what the third place is. Uh, We began this project, oh, only 150 years ago or something. It feels like it sometimes. A few years ago when we sensed that God was saying, you know, this building that we're operating in is A, not fit for purpose, which it clearly isn't. Is B, not big enough in some areas, which it clearly isn't. And C, there's a sense in which it could be so much better. So we felt that that that's what God was leading us to do and we still do feel that and we bought all the buildings along the side of us and we've begun to refurb at the back. But we got stuck in terms of we couldn't get a big enough chunk of money to knock this bit down and to build a new building. And then uh, in 2010, 2011, it was really hard work and you started to give and you gave sacrificially over and above what you give regularly, which has enabled us to keep moving forward with this. And then what happened was last year, Unbeknown to you, I guess, but behind the scenes, lots of things started to shift and started to move, which was brilliant. And so the back end of last year, for the first time, we really felt there was some breakthrough coming. I think it was out of that verse that God gave us out of Hosea 10. So on the 21st of December at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which is the last session before you break up for Christmas, I had a meeting at the council offices with the chief exec of Dudley Council and with the head of regeneration and planning. And we basically met and looked at the plans. And this is as high level that we can go in terms of our borough. And said, look, this is what we're trying to do. We need you to really become a partner. If you've got a vision, blah, 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 blah. And coming out of that, we've arranged another meeting on Wednesday this week, a planning workshop to look at what can be done. And the back end of last year, we also then have had interest for some housing developers who are looking to, to do something here on this site. So lots of stuff is happening, which is really exciting. So please keep praying for us. Would you do that? I can't tell you this is going to happen. We're still not there yet. I'm hoping and praying and believing that by Easter we'll have a clearer picture. But here's the thing. As I look back over the last three years, when to all intents and purposes we've been a little stuck in, in lots of ways, I think, but you know what? You guys have been faithfully giving, not just into this church, but over and above into the third place. It takes bravery to do that. It takes bravery to do that when everything, if you switch the TV on, it says you shouldn't be doing that. 
You know, oh, it's so bad out there. It's so bad. You should. And yet many of you, I know some of you couldn't, but many of you have been bravely, faithfully giving over the past three years. And as leaders, we want to applaud you for that. We are so thrilled when we look at the figures that we get given. Do you know what? The, the, the regular giving has not dropped at all over the last three years. And yet we've been giving loads of money. You've been loads of money extra so that we can keep going and hanging on to what we believe God has said to us. It takes bravery to do that. And it's going to take bravery to keep doing that until God gives us that breakthrough that we're looking for. So, back to Moses. How can we live a braver life when so much inside and around us tells us we can't? Two things. We can surrender. You might think, that doesn't sound like a brave thing to do. Do you know what? When it comes to God, surrendering is the bravest thing you can do. Because surrendering is the doorway into bravery. It really is. And let me show you why. There are two things that God asked of Moses at the burning bush. One was his shoes. The second was his staff. Now, as he took his shoes off, fascinating. Why did he do that? Yes, it's holy ground. But sec- last week, I-, I-, I suggested that I wonder whether there's a sense in which God wanted Moses to feel the burn, to feel the presence of that burning bush. But there's another reason. You see, your shoes are indicators of direction of travel, aren't they? How beautiful the Bible says on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And I wonder if God's kind of saying to Moses, Moses, up to this point, you've been in your own shoes, going your own way, in your own direction. But right now, will you surrender your shoes? And actually, have you ever heard that expression, these are big shoes to fill? I wonder if there's a sense in which Moses is saying, Moses, you've been trying to fill those shoes. Take them off because you know what? I want to fill them. If you just surrender to me, let me fill you. Let me guide you. Let my power be at work within you. And then we'll go places together. And then secondly, he says, what's that in your hand? Exodus chapter 4. And what does Moses say? Staff. And then if you read the Bible, you can read it through Exodus chapter 4. He says, throw it to the ground. And so he throws it to the ground and it becomes a snake. And then he says, take the snake by the tail. And so he takes the snake by the tail and it turns back into a staff again. And it's really easy to look at that story. And I've spoken on this many times in the past. Easy to look at that story and think, is this some kind of like conjuring trick? But it's really, really important. It's a massively important story. It's, it's absolutely vital in the whole future for Moses. The call to the bigger and the braver life, and it's this. That staff is not just a stick. It represents who Moses was at that moment in time. It's his identity as a shepherd. It's his security. It's the, his livelihood. It's who, it's who he is. And it was always called the staff of Moses. Then when he puts it to the ground, it becomes a snake. And then he says, take it by the tail. How many of you know you never take a venomous snake by the tail? You really don't. Just watch Crocodile Dundee and all those kind of old films. Some of you don't even know what that is really. That you take it behind the back of the head. Because if you take it by the tail, the venomous part could bite you. But it doesn't bite him. It comes back to a staff. Now here's the interesting thing. I think, and it's just a suggestion, okay, that actually what's going on here is that God's saying, listen Moses, that that's in your hand is like a representation of who you are. Surrender it. And I'm showing you that it can become a snake because whatever you have in your hand potentially could become a snake that could turn and bite you. You see, sometimes we have really good things that God has given us. If we hold on too tight, it could become a snake that turns and bites. I know loads of leaders. God's given them leadership hung on to it so tightly, it's become a snake. It's turned and bitten them. He says, but if you'll surrender it, whatever it is, good or bad, surrender it to me. If I want you to have it back, I'll deal with the venom, so you can take it by the tail, and then it will come back to you, but it will come back to you differently 
to how it was before. And I'll prove that by the fact that every verse up to that point is always called the staff of Moses. After this moment, it's always called the staff of God. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's like, wow. So, so the same staff, it looked exactly the same, but because it was surrendered to God, and God said, I'll deal with the venom, and he gave it back. If he gives it back to you, it's now not the staff of Moses, it's the staff of God. It's the same staff that when he hits the Nile, it turns to blood. When he holds it over the Red Sea, it opens up. When he... Um, when it, when it hits the rock, water comes from it. Because it wasn't the staff of Moses, it was now the staff of God in Moses' hand. And so that's how we become brave, by surrendering who we are to God and saying, Lord, I don't want to hold on to this. That's not, we're not going to be brave. I'm only going to be brave by surrendering to you and letting your power be at work in me. And the second thing we can do, not only surrender, but we can take a step. Because bravery is not just an emotion. It's something we need to work out. And we're going to look at this next week because then Moses then has to turn and he has to go. He has to go face Pharaoh. He has to go and face what's in him. He has to go and face what's against him. We can take a step. So as we finish, I want to ask you this morning, what's in you? What, what's in you that you know this morning and you know as I've been speaking that God's at work within you and you know that there's something inside of you and God's saying you need bravery to face that. What is it? Perhaps there's circumstances around your life that's happening to you right now and you need bravery just to keep going and to keep believing God. Perhaps there's something that's even standing against you or between you and you need bravery to go towards it. You know, someone once said, do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain. And there comes a point with bravery where you have to just do it. Just do it. So you're facing something inside you, just do it. You know, you want to be brave, do it. And I wonder if it's about getting the right perception of who we really are. Not more highly than we ought, but not lower than we ought. So let me just read this to you as we finish. So you say it's impossible, but in Luke 18, the Bible says all things are possible. So, so that, that's how God sees it. You say I'm too tired, but God says in Matthew 11, I'll give, you the, I'll give you rest, Jesus said. You say nobody really loves me, but John 3.16 says God loves you so much he gave his only son for you. You say I can't go on and yet Paul says in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you. You say I can't work this out and yet Proverbs 3 says, well I will direct your steps. You say I can't do it but Philippians 4 says you can do all things. You say I'm not able but 2 Corinthians says you are able because God has made you able. You say I'm not worth it but God says in Romans 8 it will be and it is worth it. You say I can't forgive myself but 1 John 1 says God, Jesus, will forgive you from all your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. You say I can't manage but Philippians 4 says, I will supply all your needs. You say, I'm afraid. 2 Timothy says, I've not given you a spirit of fear. You say, I'm always worried and frustrated. Peter says, cast all your cares onto me. You say, I feel alone. God says in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can be brave. Hello? Anyone out there? We can live a braver life because of God. We have to surrender. We have to take a step. We trust and obey. The old song says, for there's... No other way than to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Let's pray. Father. So right now, just in this moment, I want to ask you a question. How can you live a braver life when everything inside you or around you tells you you can't? Well, you can do it by trusting and obeying the one who loved you, who gave his life for you. You can do it by surrender. You can do it by choice. So take a step. You can face what's inside of you. 
You can face what's against you. You can face what's coming at you and standing between you. You can do that by choice as we trust and obey, as we surrender to him. Right now, just before we're going to sing his final song, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If there's any of you and you know this morning that God has spoken to you and you know that there's an area of your life where right now and you want to make a choice, say, do you know what? I'm going to choose to live a braver life. Perhaps it's something inside of you. Perhaps you're in a situation where it's pressed you right down, but you want to say, I want to be braver with this. Or it may even be something or someone that's against you or between you. Right now this morning, you're going to make a choice to say, I'm going to choose. I want to go down that braver road. Not just one act, but I'm going to walk down a braver road. So if that's you, I want you just to stand with me this morning. And I want to pray for you. And guys, this is a holy moment, not because we do this at the end of a service or because there's a song playing. This is holy. This is holy ground, not because we're in a building, but because God is here and he's at work amongst people. That's what makes it holy. And so is there anyone else? And you know that God is calling you to a braver life. And partly you're fearful because you think, I've done this before and I've not been brave. But listen, that's not failure. Failure is when you stop trying. Not when you keep, not when you keep getting up. That's not failure. Churchill said, "Success is not final, and failure is not fatal. What what counts is continuing, continuing." So, is there anyone else? And then I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, Father, I want to pray for every person who's standing here right now. God, thank you that you've spoken to them. God, that's so amazing that you would do that. You're such a loving, gracious God. Lord, I pray that the choice that they've made to stand before you and to say, I want to go, I want to walk down a braver road, I want to live a braver life. God, would you right now just affirm them in that decision. Flood them with your presence and with your spirit. Just remind them that they're loved so much, that they're so secure in your hands. And then God, give them the bravery and the courage to keep going forward, I pray. Lord, for those that are right up against it, when everything around them, And in front of them seems to say something different to what you've said. God, I pray that you'd strengthen, strengthen their resolve in you. Strengthen that resilience, I pray. Lord, it may be that some of us standing need to open the door to others to come into our life, to support us and to help that resilience and that bravery. Then God, give us the grace to do that, I pray. And Lord, we can be brave because we can count on your name, because we can trust you. Because we can obey you. Because you are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of that. And so, God, we choose to obey you right now. We choose to trust you. We choose, Lord Jesus, by choice, that we're going to live braver lives this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Why don't we stand? And we're going to declare this song. And it's not just a song to finish our time together. I love this song because it it starts by saying, My name is written on his hands. You know, that's that whole thing about I'm God's because of who he is and, and, and nothing can move that. And because of that, I can trust him. Because of that, I can count on his name. Out of that, I can live a braver life. And so I want to encourage you not just to sing it as a worship song, but sing it as an act of declaration. Sing it as your intent. Sing, sing it as, as kind of like, this is what I want to be this year. I want to live a braver life because my name is written on your hands and nothing can change that. Let's sing.